Uh, let's go ahead and start, Kate. If we can put that uh, slide with those six words uh, up on the screen here. And as we've been moving through this series, we've seen uh, these various words. And these first two words, glory and redemption, really illustrate uh, God's work in us and highlighting all that God has done for you and I. The next two words, uh, repentance and humility, really highlight what um, our response to God is, uh, how God moves uh, in us and directs us. And then what we looked at last week, commitment, what we're seeing this week, service, really begins to point us towards uh, the ways in which we participate in God's kingdom, the ways in which uh, we function and act and conduct ourselves in all that God uh, has called us to do and be. And with respect to service, plenty of places we could have gone to in the scriptures, but uh, we landed at John 13 for this week. And I'm just going to read the first two verses here this morning and let that begin to frame our time. Notice what John tells us here. He says this, he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then these next two words are pretty crucial for us. During supper. Okay, during what supper? The last supper, the final supper. Which if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you know that uh, there's something that believers do. Uh, where we remember this. This is a time to reflect, to consider, to pause. We're a big fans. We're big fans around here about putting the scriptures in their proper context and making sure that we're rightly seeing, rightly understanding all that's going around, all that's surrounding uh, what's taking place. And so there, there, there's honestly, as we're going to read through John 13 in a few minutes, there's a ridiculousness to what's about to unfold in terms of what Jesus is going to do and what the disciples have not done. But in the same way that we, we want to put that in its proper literary context, I think it's important for us to be in a, in a right context ourselves. And so before we go any further, we're going to do what they did. Because, because communion is the context in which the disciples and Jesus find themselves in, in John 13. And so that's what we're going to start with communion. Now, now, if, if you're not familiar with communion, if you haven't been following Jesus for long, or maybe you haven't followed him at all, communion is really remembering what Christ has done for us. It's reflecting upon his sacrifice in our place. It's remembering that Jesus did in fact pay it all, that he took all of our sins at the cross and that you and I can come before him in confidence because if left to ourselves, that would never happen. And so as we come in a moment, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to come. We have three tables in the front, two in the back. There's a gluten-free option up front. And, and I'll have you come, grab the elements. We'll partake together in a moment. But let me just frame this. Well, I'm not going to frame it. I'm going to let the Apostle Paul frame uh, this time for us. Uh, actually, the Word of God is going to frame this time for us. Here's how Paul uh, instructs the Corinthian church and really every church to approach communion. He says that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Okay, that, in case you're wondering, is a bad idea. We don't want to do that. Okay, we want to take serious what Christ has done for us. Okay, so how do we do that? Well, it's what we see in the next verse. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. See, what the disciples didn't do what they didn't have in mind, what they didn't have in view, by God's grace, we will have right in front of us and will frame the entirety of our time in John 13 is all that Christ has done. 
And so in these next few moments, as you come and get the elements and you sit in your seat and you wait for the others, see, sometimes, sometimes what happens is during communion, like we get the elements and we just kind of sit there and we're waiting, like, hey, well, I'll just wait till everyone has it and I'll just, no, no, that, that's the time to press into the Lord, to examine yourself, to say, say, God, what is it that you would speak to me? What is it that you want to show me? What are the ways in which I, I need to reconsider all that you're calling me to do and be? So take full advantage of that time. Now at Faith Church, we practice what we call an open communion, which means you don't have to be a member, but you do have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, there's really two options for you. One is we would ask you to abstain because God's word tells you that you're to abstain. I think there's a much better option. I think the better option is that in this moment right now, you repent before the Lord, you commit yourself to him, you give yourself to him, and then you participate with us. You do what you want. It's between yourself and the Lord. I'm just telling you, I think that's a way better option, okay? And most, if not all, the people in this room would agree with that. But with that, let's do this. Let's come to the table. Let's grab the elements. We'll go back. Let's reflect. Let's consider. Let's examine. And let's not make the mistake as we move to John 13 that all of the disciples are about to make. Let's come to the table. Press into him. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to reveal his heart to you. Lift your eyes up to him.
think far too often, <clears throat> far too often in our day and age, we're terrified of silence. But we're going to press in right now here in the silence before ourselves and the Lord. Paul in his instruction to the Corinthian church says this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we partake, loved ones, as we partake, let's remember all that Christ has done for us. Let's partake together. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together, loved ones. Why don't you pray with me, and we'll pray both with respect to communion and our time together in God's word. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, as we're here with you right now, God, would you speak to us? God, would your truth be made manifest amongst us? Would your holiness and righteousness have full uh, impact within us? God, we pray that your spirit would convict, would challenge would move and work. Jesus, we thank you for the great sacrifice that you've paid on our behalf. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our wickedness and the death of our sin, but that you chose to redeem us. And so God, we pray, God, we pray that you would open our eyes to receive your truth. But God, not only for us, we pray for Pastor Tom Brainerd and for Trinity Reformed Church. I pray for uh, Tom as he preaches this morning that you would speak uh, powerfully through him, that you would minister in and through him in that church. And God, that you would be lifted high. And God, we pray that you'd be lifted high in this church, that here at Faith Church, Lord Jesus, that you uh, would accomplish uh, all that you long and desire to do in and through your people. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we pray this all in your name, Lord. Amen. Okay, so loved ones, uh, that context that we find ourselves in is the same context that the disciples found themselves in as we find in John 13. And this concept of service, let me just put it out here right up front here. If we were to say it in a sentence, what's the nail? It's this. It's that a follower of Jesus will serve others as Jesus has served them. A follower of Jesus will serve others the way that Jesus has served them. It really is that simple. And so here, let's, let's read the text. Let's understand what, what God wants us to know, and then we'll begin to walk through this. John 13, uh, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> 
Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, this is so insane, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him like a slave. He's functioning like a slave here. Verse 6 came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. He's like, hey, you're not going to get it right now, uh, but about this time next week, it's going to make a whole lot more sense to you. Peter, quick to respond, always quick to respond, always slow to perceive, says this in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. It's probably an aspect of pride and probably an aspect of respect uh, for Jesus. Jesus, so patient in in responding to Peter, just says this, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Say, I don't think you understand what's going on here. I don't think you get what's at stake. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, talking about a 180, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's like, okay, bathe me, right? Like, whole thing. Jesus said to him, so patient, right? Isn't he just so patient here? The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you. He's talking to Judas. John even tells us that in verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? I don't think, even if they said yes, I don't think they really got it in that moment. I'm not even sure the first time we read through this, we fully get it in that moment. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you, and you might want to underline these next few words, if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Seven words to change your life on the tail end of this, talking about some of the ways that we participate in God's kingdom, and we're talking about this concept of service. Service. Three things, just three things I want us to see in the text, and of course we frame them in a way that help us to apply this uh, in our life and, and, and put them right into practice. Here's the first thing. Look at verses one through five. I will serve in all circumstances. I will serve in all circumstances. In fact, why don't you just tell the person next to you that you're going to do that. Tell them, I'm going to serve in all circumstances. Tell them. Okay, there was zero conviction. That was pathetic. I have zero confidence that that is actually true of you. All right? Um, But listen, listen, listen. Our service, our service is not conditioned by our circumstances. This is very similar to what we saw last week, right, with commitment, but it's it's not conditioned by our circumstances. 
And here's why I would say that, because if there's ever a time and if there was ever a person who had an excuse, who had an out, who had a reason not to serve, it's Jesus and it's this moment right here. In fact, just look at some of the things that John tells us. John's not telling us, hey, here's how Jesus could have uh, uh, made some excuses, but they're pretty obvious. I see five uh, pretty obvious ones here. And of course, on top of the fact, Jesus didn't have to do this. Let's start with the most obvious. He didn't even have to do this. But notice some of the other things in the text. First of all, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, now, when you work through the book of John, you see that word, the hour, the hour, the hour. It comes up a lot, and it's in reference to the death of Jesus. I mean, he's less than 24 hours from being in the grave, and he knows it. I mean, how easy, how easy would it have been for Jesus to go, I'm about to die for you guys. That's, that's quite a bit. I think that's, that's uh, quite a bit of service. Have I not done enough? Will that not be enough for you? How easily, because I've done enough. John tells us then this, that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. It's like, I'm leaving soon. I'm not really going to see you that much more. Yes, I know he's going to die, and then he's going to be resurrected, and he's going to see the disciples, but it was nothing like it was prior to his death. It's going to be hit and miss. It's going to be here and there. It's not going to be long term, and eventually he's going to be back at the right hand of the Father. I'm not really going to see you much longer. So why serve you? Then look at what else John tells us. He tells us this. He says, having loved them to the end. Right? Having loved them to the end. Man, I've loved you and I've served you well already. I've been faithful for years. Jesus could have just said, I've done my part. It's me time. This is me time. You guys figure it out on your own. Verse 2, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. I'm serving you. One of you is going to kill me. Jesus could have said, you don't deserve it. You're not worthy of that. Aren't we sometimes guilty of that? We look at certain people, and, and in the height of arrogance, we think you're not worthy of my service. Verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. I'm God, you're not. You could have just said, this is ridiculous. I am the second member of the Trinity. Y'all are nothing close to that. You're below me. You're inferior to me. You are less than me. See, Jesus could have rightfully said all of these things. And yet it was in the midst of all of those circumstances, and I'm just one of the one I want to put in there in Luke's gospel. He makes it very, very clear that one of the things that they're arguing about at the Last Supper is which one of them is going to be the greatest. So, right, you, you put all these things together, right, and, and, and then you have what Jesus does in verse 4 and 5. And you have this sharp contrast between what the disciples have going on and what Jesus has going on. Where Jesus is about to go to his death, not only for the disciples, but for the whole of humanity. And they're over here arguing over which one is greater, who's going to have more honor, who gets to sit at the right hand. Clueless. They're clueless. And of course, Jesus' service here isn't just about service. It's 
pointing us to the greatest service of all, his death on the cross, the cleansing, redemptive work of Jesus. And so in verse 4, John tells us he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. That Jesus literally took on the form of a servant or of a slave. We saw that a couple weeks ago in Philippians 2, talking about uh, taking on the form of a servant. Now, I think it's interesting, you know, John, John is not the detailed type. And yet here in these first four or five verses, he's incredibly vivid. He's incredibly detailed. And I think that has to do with the fact that it's probably a combination of this was an incredibly powerful, an incredibly profound moment. But I think it was probably also painful and awkward. Because you were supposed to wash someone's feet when they entered the door. And yet any of the guys that should have been doing it are all arguing with each other about which one of them is the greatest. And so here the savior of the world finally goes, you know what? I'll do it. And so he gets up and he begins to wash their feet. Starts to wash their feet. Now, some of you may be very familiar with the various aspects of foot washing that went on in that day and age. I'll just try to, without being too crude, try to give you a depiction. Because can we just be honest? The feet are already kind of weird and nasty to begin with. I mean, they're just kind of weird. And they're kind of gross even today. But, but if you were to rewind 2,000 years ago and move halfway around the world, you live in a hot, dusty, dry land. Okay, well, we, okay, we get that. You don't bathe nearly as often. There's no such thing as AC. And you don't drive in your car. You don't wear closed toe shoes. You have uh, sandals. And you happen to move along the same path that all of the animals do. So inevitably, you are walking not only through the dust and the dirt, but there's animal feces everywhere. So something that was already kind of weird and gross to begin with just got a whole lot weirder and a whole lot grosser, didn't it? So, so despised, so degrading was the act of washing someone's feet that, that only the lowest of slaves would even be asked to do it. That's how low this was. That's how degrading this was. And yet here we find the second member of the Trinity, hours before his death, doing this for people who are arguing over who's greater. You want to talk about missing the point. Two things. Two things I want to drive home with respect to this. I will serve in all circumstances. Here's the first. I will serve regardless of circumstance. You're like, Mike, that's the same thing. I know it is. Talked about this last week with commitment, but this notion of is my service is it conditional or is it unconditional? Will I do it when it's easy, when I want to, um, when, when, when I'm good at it, when it's convenient? Uh, here's something I always find. Well, well I'll, I'll serve you if there's something in it for me. That's not service. That's compensation. Two radically different things. See, sometimes, sometimes it's, I'll serve you if... It's conditional. If you'll do something for me, if you'll give me something, as opposed to unconditional, it doesn't matter what's going on, it doesn't matter what's happening, I will serve you even when. And the excuses that Jesus could have used, haven't I done enough? Done my part? You don't deserve this? I'm above you? See, that didn't even begin to enter into the frame of mind. See, we can make excuses all day. 
Will we choose to serve regardless of the circumstance? Is it conditional or is it unconditional? Here's the second thing. I will serve in humility. Not only will I serve in all circumstances, but I will serve in humility because it wasn't simply the context in which Jesus served that was so shocking. It was the form and the manner that was equally shocking. That God himself would would put on the garb and the form of a slave and wash his disciples' feet. It's insanity. I mean, he's going to die for them tomorrow. It's more than enough. And yet, here he is doing one of the most disgusting, despicable, degrading acts that you could find. I will serve in humility. Are you willing to serve in even the most humblest of forms? Jesus was. Are we? I will serve in all circumstances. Notice this. Secondly, we see this exchange that takes place between Simon and Peter. And, and more than the exchange, there's something much bigger, much in, something much deeper that Jesus is driving not only Peter to, not only the disciples to, but even you and I towards. And it's this, that I will serve to point others to Jesus' work. I will serve, I will serve to point others to the work of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make something really, really clear in the text. And and a lot of times when we read through this, either we miss it or it's not emphasized because verses 12 through 17, it's so clear in terms of some of the application there. But one of the things that we sometimes miss here is that Jesus' service in this, especially in verses 6 through 11, is meant to point us to the cleansing and redemptive work of Jesus. It has the crucifixion is just oozing out of this. It's everywhere in this if we'll see it. And all service is meant to point us to the work of Jesus. Even the service that you and I do. The service that happens today. The way in which we choose to serve a neighbor or a coworker, a friend or a family member. The way that we choose to serve one on a street corner, whatever it may be. True biblical service is meant to point us to Jesus' work. Here, let's just walk through the text. Let me show you. Verse 6, he came into Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Right? Probably incredulous at the thought that Jesus himself is going to wash his feet. Now, there's probably a little bit of pride in Peter. There's also probably this respect. Jesus, you are too great to do something like this for me. And so Jesus, in his patient way, just says, hey, what I'm doing You do not understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. There's a point in time coming. You're going to get it. But just bear with me. Hang on. Hold on. Peter, right, just not cluing in on the larger reality. You shall never wash my feet. If I do not wash, you have no share with me. See, there's the clue, loved ones. This isn't really about washing feet. That's just the means to an end. Jesus was brilliant at this. You go, you can read anywhere in the Gospels, you see it all the time, where Jesus will take a physical act, he'll take something tangible, he'll take something right in front of us, and he will use that to point us to a greater spiritual reality. I am washing your feet, and there's a metaphor here, and there's a cleansing act, and there's a humility, and there's a service, and there's all that stuff that's going on there, but what I'm really doing is I'm pointing you to the cross. That's what service is all about. That's what Jesus is doing here. 
And that's, what, that's why he says, if I do not wash, you have no share with me. He's not saying, if I don't get to wash your feet, then you and I aren't on the same team. He's saying, listen, if you don't let me cleanse you from sin, you are alienated and separated from me. That's what he's really getting at. That's what he's moving their mind and attention towards. Peter begins to get it in verse 9, which is why he's like, okay, then all of me, okay, I want to be on your team. I don't want to be at odds with you, so, so wash all of me. Jesus, I almost wonder if he chuckled in this moment, right? Like, seriously, what is wrong with you, Peter? The one who is bathed doesn't need to wash. I'm not going to shower you. You're a grown man for crying out loud. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. And see, so here it is, but is completely clean. He's talking about the cleansing work We have to understand that service is always meant to point others to the redemptive work of Jesus. There's a variety of ways in which we arrive there, a variety of ways in which we get to that point. But listen very, very carefully. When service, when service is stripped of the gospel, when it's stripped of the intent of pointing others to the work of Jesus, it departs from being biblical or gospel-centered. It does. That might be a hard word. Some of you might be really uncomfortable with that. But service that doesn't have at its root heart, root motivation, the desire to say, let me show you what Jesus has done is not gospel-centered, biblical service. And so our desire should be to, to, to serve in a way that's anchored to a desire to see much made of Jesus this past week, um, Becky and I started doing this. Actually, Becky and I and David Leong started doing this little basketball camp in our backyard. We have a little basketball court, a little cement slab with uh, a hoop uh, that we put in. And uh, uh, we realized that, that, well, what started it was uh, a couple of our kids wanted to do a basketball camp. And when you have four kids, 100 bucks a pop for like a six-week basketball camp isn't exactly cheap. And uh, so we're like, okay, I'm out on that. I can teach you everything you're going you're gonna to see at that camp. That's easy. And, uh, and so then we started to think about it. So I can tell you what, let's, let's invite neighborhood kids. Let's bring kids uh, in from the school and around and whatnot. And um, let's use this as a way to reach out and expose them to Jesus. And so the night before, our kids are on a swim team. And so they have swim team on Wednesday. And then they were going to do the basketball camp right after. And so Jason was kind of lamenting the fact that he's going to have to work hard uh, for a day. And he's got a little bit of a lazy bone in him. Um, But so we're sitting there at night and the kids are in bed and just he and I are talking. And he's kind of going off. And he'd been talking for days. Dad, I I just, I'm going to be so tired and I don't want to do it. I don't really like basketball. Do I have to go? And I just let him go for a couple minutes and finally said, stop. I said, son, I don't, I'll be really, really honest with you. I don't care about the basketball. And I don't care whether or not you care about the basketball. Because this isn't about basketball. It's about Jesus. It's about pointing people to Jesus. Your little friends that are going to come over come from homes where they don't know him. We want to change that. Do you understand what's going on? And then to his credit, right, to his credit, for the last three, four days leading up to that moment, he's like, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. He's like, okay, Dad, I'll do it if that's what it's about. See, I wonder for how how many of us, do, do we simply forget what it's about? That we lose sight of the motivation. We lose sight of what we're after. We, We lose sight of what we're driving towards. And so it just becomes something else that we do. 
Instead of, this is an opportunity to point someone to the risen, ruling Savior of the universe. I will serve, I will serve to point others to the work of Jesus. Let me just make one other observation here. I put it as a sub-point. It's really distinct from this. I don't want to spend too long on it, but I, we do have to talk about it. And it's this. I will allow service in my life to magnify Jesus' work. I will allow service in my life to magnify Jesus' work. Now, most of what we're talking about this morning is really a strong exhortation that we would serve those around us uh, so as to see the gospel go forward. But here's, there's this one aspect that we have to talk about here um, because some of you, well, many of you, maybe all of us at some level really struggle with this. But in Peter's engagement of Jesus, as this is unfolding and this back and forth is taking place here, Listen, Peter's rejection of Jesus' desire to serve him is also a rejection of God's work in Peter's life. Now, let me just begin to walk you down the road in terms of what this looks like for you and I. When we serve others, okay, when we make the choice to serve, and we, when, when, when we um, humble ourselves in, in that particular manner, we become a conduit, we become a vessel, we become a means of God's grace, of God's hand, of God's work into someone else's life. Uh, many of you, maybe all of you, have had the experience of being in that place. That's a great place to be. What we struggle with is to be on the other side of that. See, because when you are served by someone else, they then have the blessing and the opportunity to be the means or the conduit or the vessel of God's grace in that instance. And so when you reject that, you not only reject their service, you are rejecting the work of God that was gonna come through someone else. You steal something from them and you miss something from God. Now let me just press this a little bit further because some of us really struggle at being served. No, many of us are terrible at being served. Let's just cut it straight. Many of you are just, we're just horrendous at this and we fight it and, and I don't want it. Now in the most loving and tender and compassionate way that I know how, I want to say this, but I have to say it firmly, okay? So know that my heart is love, but the majority of the time, if not every time that we do this, it is nothing more than veiled Pride. And what you are saying is, I don't want to need help. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be insufficient. I don't want to be dependent. I'm going to pause right there. And let me put this question in front of you. If you approach the gospel, listen, loved ones, if you approach the gospel in that same manner, where would you be? you would be far from God. You would be at odds with God. You would not know God. Because inherent in the gospel, at the core level of the gospel, is a recognition that I can't do it alone. That I am desperate, that I am needy, that I am dependent, that I am insufficient, and that absent of God's grace, I am completely and totally lost. And so why? Why, why, why 
would we go, well, yeah, we absolutely need Jesus' help to save us. Uh, I can take care of the rest. I got it, man. No help. I pull myself up. I'll try harder. I'll be more resolved. You know that there was a group of people that tried that? Let me read to you. It's one of my favorite passages in the scriptures because you get to tell people they're fools and it's biblical. Okay? Here's what Paul tells the Galatians. That was their whole issue. Yeah, we got saved and now we're going to go earn it. Here's what he says in Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. You can replace Galatians with anyone that would attempt to do it on their own. Maybe even putting your name in there. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's like, what saved you? Did you save you or did God save you? Oh, right, God saved you. So then he continues, right, not once but twice. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And he continues down that path. Some of you are making the very same mistake. We wouldn't say, oh, foolish Galatians. We would say, oh, foolish. Put your name in there. Will you please, please, please quit rejecting the work of God in your life through others? Put the pride to death. Put the self-sufficiency to death. Put the try harder to death. And allow others to serve you. Listen, listen, listen. So that the work of Jesus would be magnified in your life. Isn't that reason enough? Isn't that motivation enough? I'm not saying be a total leech and don't do anything. Okay, that's the inverse of this. But for most of you, that's not your issue. Maybe for all of you, that's not your issue. Your issue is I'm self-sufficient and I'm gonna fight through it. That's not, that's not gospel living. In fact, it's the exact opposite of the gospel. I will serve in all circumstances. I will serve to point others to Jesus' work. And then look at verse 12 and following. I will serve as Jesus serves me. I will serve as Jesus serves me. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet, when he had washed their feet, I can't prove it, but I'm 99.999% convinced that Judas is included in that. Um, And part of my confidence is I'm guessing John or one of the other guys would have told us something about that. Yeah, it was really weird. Jesus skipped Judas and then just went on around to the rest of them. What do you think that moment was like? What do you think was going on in Jesus' mind? What do you think was going on in Judas' mind? See, I think it was one final appeal. Turn, repent, come back. He washed, the, he washed the dude's feet that was going to betray him to death. You and I don't have a viable excuse. I will serve as Jesus serves me. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, 
he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? And then he starts to teach them in this moment. You call me teacher and Lord. And I love this. And you're right, for so I am. He's like, by the way, that's appropriate. Yes, I am a teacher and I am definitely your Lord. But then he presses right in on it. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I will serve as Jesus serves me two things here. Here's the first, I will follow his example. I will follow his example. Now, now let me just point out here, verses 12, 13, 14, 15, Jesus' example isn't solely about washing feet, Okay. Uh, so sometimes we take this and, and, and maybe you've been a part of a foot washing, well, foot washing, foot washing, I'm not sure what that is, a foot washing uh, service. Uh, and, and that can be really powerful. Um, and sometimes it's just kind of awkward and weird because we don't have a category for that. We don't have a context for that. And what, what Jesus is driving us to isn't simply like, hey, let's all wash each other's feet. He's talking about our heart and our mind. He's talking about to what degree, to what level, to what length are you willing to go to serve others? I want to know what's going on inside of you with respect to that. I was trying to think of the most appropriate cultural context to washing feet. And uh, again, I don't want to be crude, but just trying to give you an idea, I thought of man scrubbing someone else's toilet with your toothbrush. That's disgusting. I, someone said gross. Gross is being generous, man. That is filthy and nasty. But that's the means, that's the degree to which Jesus went to serve these guys. And it's much more. It's much more than just having to wash your feet. It's the heart and the mind. But he's after us internally. We'll follow his example. We follow his example. Are we willing to, 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 to deal with the messiness and walk with that with those around us? Are we willing to forbear under the struggles and the failures? Are we willing to allow others to serve us? I will follow his example. Secondly, look at verse 16 and 17. I will do as he has done. I will do as he has done and really continues to do. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, right? The blessing doesn't come in knowing about it or being able to talk about it or I can quote the verse. No, it's in doing it. It's acting upon it. It's, it's moving within that. Started thinking as I was studying verse 17, I just kind of sat back and I was like, what, what all has Jesus done for us? How is it that he's served us? What do the scriptures begin to tell us about that? And there's no shortage of things in the scriptures about that. There's two specific places uh, that I went to um, that the scriptures specifically tie this idea of Jesus as a servant uh, to us. The first is Mark 10. Remember in Mark 10? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Then doesn't stop there. He says, and to give his life as a ransom. So here, we'll just begin to... um, close our time by taking these, these, I got nine things here, how Jesus serves us, but by application, how it is that we're to serve others as well. First of all, he makes himself a sacrifice. He makes himself a sacrifice. I'm a ransom. 
It's what Paul tells us in Romans 12. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or holy and pleasing to the Lord. That the entirety of my life is a sacrifice, that it's laid down on the altar, that it's given up to someone else, namely to Jesus. Am I willing to serve? Am I willing to make myself a sacrifice Another way that Jesus serves, and we saw this a couple weeks ago, is that he's obedient. In Philippians 2, taking on the form of a servant, he made himself obedient unto death, even death on a cross. His obedience was tied to his willingness to die for us, but also tied to him being a servant. Part of your service, part of my service to the Lord is that we're just obedient. That when God says, do it, we do it. When he says, don't, we don't. When he says, follow me, we do. When he says, stop, we stop. And we're just simply obedient to what he's telling us to do. And then I started to think, you know, those two things are pretty prominent. And I started to think this week, what else do we see in the life of Jesus? What, what, what else began to show up? And I just began to flip through um, kind of a skimming or a casual reading of the Gospels. Here's the final seven not even close to exhaustive or comprehensive, but I don't get to preach for three hours, so you know you gotta make limitations on some of these things. Here's the next one. He speaks the truth. How Jesus serves us, how we serve others, is we're willing to speak the truth to one another. Jesus was the best truth teller there was because it's all he ever did. Sometimes it was blunt to the point. Other times it was incredibly gracious and kind. But it was always true. Always the fullness of love. He spoke the truth. Now let me just ask you, are you willing to serve others by speaking the truth into their life? It's one of the greatest services. It's also one of the hardest services. We were talking at our elder meeting this past Monday. We were talking about this and and how hard this is sometimes. Listen. Because we don't want to feel bad about how other people respond. That's just serving me. That's just serving myself. And I'm looking, this, most of you don't know this, I see a couple guys um, that are here from Flagstaff that I didn't see before the service, and I keep looking at them, some guys that I know, and there's some guys sitting back there that, that I've spoken a lot of truth into their life. And they've spoken a lot of truth into my life. And sometimes it's been hard, and sometimes it was received well, sometimes it wasn't received well, and sometimes we really uh, went at it. But I know that they love me and I know that that they know that I love them. And I know a number of you that we've had that experience in the last couple of years since we've been here where we get to speak truth into each other's life. It's what it is to serve people. That I love you enough to tell you the truth. Jesus did it constantly. He meets our needs. Okay, that was a great place for an amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Let's try it again. He meets our needs. Amen. Amen. Right? Um, you can find that pretty much everywhere in the scriptures. Uh, John 4, the woman at the well, uh, thirsty. Well, she was kind of trying to meet his need, but he really ended up meeting her need. Uh, John 6, feeding the 5,000, they were hungry. John 11, Lazarus was dead, kind of needed that whole life thing to go for him, uh, right? But, but in, all, in, in the ways that Jesus always does when he meets needs, we've talked about this already, he's using it to point us to a greater work. He's pointing us back to the cross, pointing it back to what he's done for us. Now, are you willing to serve others by meeting their needs? Um, he heals and restores. He heals and restores. 
I mean, you see that on every page. Every page in the Gospels, man, someone's getting healed. Someone who's blind is seeing. Who, someone who couldn't walk can walk. Someone who couldn't speak is speaking. Someone who's dead is alive. Someone who's sick is healthy, man, whatever. It's like throughout the story, we see that. Now, now you and I don't have the capacity to roll out and be like, hey, boom, you can see. And boom, you can walk. It doesn't work like that. But there's this fascinating thing that, that God gives to us in 2 Corinthians 5. It's t- it talks about this ministry of reconciliation. It's really the same thing. Where we get to heal and restore. We get to speak truth into people's life. We get to point them back to the reality of who Jesus is. That in the midst of tragedy, in, in, in the darkest valley, in the hardest trial, when life is caving in, that we get to walk alongside them. When relationships are frayed or torn or broken, that we get to come back and mend them with them. It's one of the ways that we serve that we heal and restore. Am I willing to do this? I'll, I'll tell you, that, that's, a, that's a heavy work. It's a rewarding work, but it's a heavy work. Am I willing to serve by healing and restoring? Jesus walks with people. Well, we walk with people. I mean, Jesus wasn't, and he just wasn't afraid of people that were different than him. You know that? He just wasn't afraid. He wasn't intimidated by that. It didn't, didn't freak him out. It didn't bother him. Are we afraid? Am I afraid of people that look differently, think differently, act differently than me? I get where sometimes it's uncomfortable. I think that's normal. But it's one thing to be uncomfortable. It's an entirely different thing to be unwilling. He was, he was willing to walk with people. Are we willing to take the time to invest? Are we willing to have the patience where we have the forbearance going, I'm going to see this through. I'm going to walk with you through to the end. We're going to come out the other side. The sun might not be shining today or right now, but it's going to come out again, and I'm going to walk with you to that place. He walks with people. Well, we walk with people. He protects others. Primarily, we see this shown up with, with vulnerable groups of people, people who couldn't fully or couldn't at all protect themselves, children or the marginalized, the outcasts, those who are sick. And part of our service is protection. Are we willing to protect others and really put ourselves on the line in that? He warns others. Usually showed up in the form of like a, a one-word sermon, repent. That was typically the warning. Will we warn people? I mean, there's a spiritual reality that's playing out. There's a judgment that is coming for every single person who will ever live. Well, we'll get to it eventually. Well, maybe someone else will tell them, are we willing to warn others? That was one of the ways that Jesus served. Jesus met people where they're at. Man, he, he was so good at that. He was so good at meeting people where they're at. He was so good at coming to the specific place where they found them or where they found themselves at that particular point in time. Now, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, because we, we tend to do one of two things with this. We kind of run to the, the extremes on this. And one side is we're great at meeting people where they're at. And we go, and we, we, we say something along the lines like, Jesus loves me just the way that I am. Jesus loves you. True, correct. We'll affirm that. 
just the way that you are. Yes, in a sense. Thank you. He won't leave you there. He loves you enough to change you. He loves you enough to move you down the road. He loves you enough that, that he's going to walk you out of that particular sin or shortcoming in your life. So on one side, we go, hey, he loves me just the way that I am, and we're going to almost accommodate sin. We're going to get comfortable with sin. Wrong. And the other side of this is, I'm not really comfortable with sinners. I'm not really comfortable being around people who have issues. Okay, let me just give you one word of advice. You need a small cabin in the middle of nowhere in Montana, but you're going to have trouble escaping yourself, so I'm not entirely sure what to tell you. Because you're no different. See, what, what I find fascinating is Jesus was amazing at loving people who are just like you and me. They just don't know him. That's the reality. That's the only thing that makes you and I different from them is that Jesus has done a redemptive work in you and I that he hasn't done in them. It's none of your work. It's all of his work. He met people where they're at. Yes, we want to race to that place. Yes, there's a sense in which we should be uncomfortable with sin. I'm going to walk with them. And we're going to forbear with them. And we're going to be patient. I'm going to bear up under that. We're not going to accommodate that. Meets people where they're at. Here's the final thing really tied to that, really a summation of all of these things is Jesus loved sinners. He loved sinners. I was reading the story of Zacchaeus recently. Nobody loves Zacchaeus. I don't even think Zacchaeus' mom loves Zacchaeus. You know what I'm saying? I guess it's bad when your own mom doesn't love you. But Jesus loved that guy. He loved him legitimately, genuinely, deeply loved him. Now, it's not hard. It's not hard for us to identify sinners in our life, and, and, and that really is everyone. But do we love sinners? Do we love sinners? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the thing that I've identified in my life, loving sinners gets a whole lot easier when I love Jesus more and more because I recognize how he's loved me and it makes it so much easier to be like, well, you know what? You've loved me. That's a chore in itself. I think I can do the work to love this person next to me. That's what it comes down to. Jesus loved sinners. I will serve as Jesus serves me. He's calling us to serve us. He's calling us to serve unconditionally in all circumstances, no matter what's going on. He's, he's calling us to serve uh, others so that we can point them to his work. And he's calling us to serve him in the same way that he served us. Now, here's what I want to do um, before we close is just take a moment. We're just between yourself and the Lord that we don't walk out of here without identifying some way that you're going to serve so in the next minute or two, we're just going to sit in silence between yourself and the Lord. Here's what, I want you to write something down. Well, I don't, ha I don't have a pen. Well, you got a cell phone. Put it in your notes. I don't care. Put something down. Hold yourself accountable. Jesus, I will serve you in this way this week. I wrote something down. I already wrote it down. Take the next minute or two just between yourself and the Lord. I'm going to serve you tangibly.
in a manifest way this week, and here's how I'm going to do it. Just take a moment, think about that, and then I'll pray here in a minute.